I think we're on page three of your handout. Uh, if you want to flip there. Our second point when we talk about election. So we have grace, and now we're going to kind of chat about election. Now, we had kind of given some definitions, and I'll go ahead and restate the definition, and then let's go ahead and kind of work through some of the scriptures here, just to kind of give us some biblical coffee for the day to kind of get ourselves going as we kind of dive into the deep end, so to speak. So, what we talked about last time when we left off with the, uh, the definition of election is basically it's the act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved. Now, it's not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. So let's kind of run through, I know we already did this last time, but just to get us going, like I said, let's go through some of these scriptural <coughs> passages here. Could I get some volunteers? We have Acts 13, 48. Anybody? When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believe. <coughs> Romans 8, 28 through 30. Let me volunteer. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Excellent. Romans 9, 11 through 13. For though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Excellent. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Great. Perfect. Yeah. So obviously some lengthy passages here, but I think they kind of help us to see, obviously, like what we also said last time, is that elections in the Bible. You're going to have to deal with it sooner or later. And so what degree you believe in election can vary from person to person. And you kind of find that out when you have conversations about folks, or with folks, I should say. Um, but in order to just take it out altogether, kind of use that reference that you'd have to use a Sharpie as your highlighter in the Bible, essentially, right? Um, that's the only way you're really going to get rid of it. So it's good to just go ahead and have a conversation about it. Now, I think what would kind of help us is now that we kind of have a grip on what election is, let's talk about some common misunderstandings about election. So one thing that election is not, we're kind of on that third point, common misunderstandings, is it's not fatalistic, nor is it mechanistic, okay? So I don't know about you, but when I read those terms there again, I don't exactly have a grip on that. I could take some shots at it, but what we're kind of leaning towards with both of these terms is that idea of the everything's a system 
or human choices, decisions, don't make any real difference, okay? It is futile to try also to influence any kind of outcome. This is kind of just, almost feels like it kind of strips us to bare bone. That's why it's kind of that idea that we're not robots or machines. Like, we gotta reject that. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about election. But with this fatalistic and mechanistic, there's also that idea that since past, present, and future events have already been set in order, predetermined either by some people who give it to God, like, okay, yes, it was God that did that, or, They'll say it was another all-powerful force out there, such as fate, right? That's where we get fatalistic. When I first read that term fatalistic, I thought like fate told, like, dead. <laughs> fate, right? Kind of think of in Greek mythology, you have the three fates, you know, and that whole, you know, snipping the life strings or whatever, whatever that is all about. But at any rate, so that's kind of the idea. Mechanistic, we kind of get into, again, the universe is kind of a preset, more that mechanical orientation. We're all just kind of robots going on the circuit board of our life. Everything's been predetermined for us. So that is what we are saying election is not, right? So one question here that I have for you is if we kind of debase ourselves, our existence, the universe in which God has placed us, even himself being impersonal, what do you think is some of the potential problems that we could run into if we hold to those ideas. Do you think we could kind of run into? We do. Maybe God is not as loving as the Bible depicts him. He is an evil, first evil entity, capricious. The villain behind the curtain. And another is God picks and chooses who's going to be saved and who's going to hell. And some people say, well, why bother going into God's word and so forth because he's already chosen who he's going to save and who he's going to send to hell. And that could kind of compound into... My next question is, uh, how might this change our view that we have of others? I like what you're getting at, Judy. And then also our relation with others. Add that later to the question. Well, I think it would also um, hurt ministry, too. Why would we seek to minister to others if God has already predestined who it is? Then we're going to come to their faith on their own, obviously, if he's chosen them. So that takes the responsibility away from us to minister to others and try to outreach. Yeah. So I think it, it, it tends to take away from people's concept of the responsibility for their actions. Um, so if I say, you know, I've been predestined to hell, so if I was to go murder this person, I mean, look, I, God, God told me, you know, I was predestined for hell anyway, so I'm not, you know, it's not my fault that I went and committed these horrific acts, and so they missed the point that no, we we're predestined to hell because we always choose to do evil, not because we don't have responsibility for that evil. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
kind of a bad rabbit trail you can get down, can't you, if you just debased us to these things. Strips us of our humanity that we've been given. Right? And that's the other part of it is, given this, does the Bible actually present us as robots, machines? Is that the depiction that we learn in Scripture? And adding to that, is that also the impersonal force that we would call God? Is that how Scripture reveals God to be? And say no, right? God is personal. He intervenes in our lives in a very personal way. He shows us love. And same way with us, right? We also are volitional creatures, meaning that we make choices, but then also we have emotion. We have desire. We have passion. We're not just mechanical beings just set upon our path. So we kind of got to reject that, right? Now, what we also get into as far as common misunderstandings is the election is not based on God's foreknowledge of our faith. This one I always find kind of fun and interesting. And maybe you guys have kind of heard this and you can kind of see the uh, description there, but my favorite illustration is you have God <laughs> so we have God, and it's this idea of foreknowledge is that God looks through the periscope of time. Periscope? No, that's submarine, isn't it? Telescope! <laughs> I was looks. thinking high, highway cones. But I mean, highway cones? <laughs> God looks through the highway cones of your life. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't see disaster. So, God looks through the telescope of your life, sees you sees that you will have faith and then upon that knowledge then makes the determination to elect you that's kind of the general idea when we talk about this foreknowledge now where this is kind of given some credit where this is kind of drawn from is we read in uh, Romans 8.29 can I get a volunteer somebody read that that's in your handout, right? Nope. Here, I'll go ahead and read. I see a lot of Bibles open. I think that one I may have added. Oh, yes, that's right, because it's just it just says Romans 8, 29. It is on the page 30. Okay. Well, I'll go ahead and read it here, since I made that mistake. So Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this foreknowledge view, where it's kind of drawn from, is with this passage in the interpretation of foreknew. That's where it's kind of being drawn from. So the, the, pivoting, the pivoting point there is kind of within that definition. The problem with this view, well, and I'll go ahead and get your, your input here. What do you think is appealing about this view? Why would some want to interpret or knowledge, or new, like this. What might be an appeal of it? I got chosen because God knew I would be good enough. So free will. Free will? Free will. Okay. Edifies free will. Yeah. It gives us a little bit of credit in our salvation. That's right. You and me, God. 
get to do that room to boast when I now I'm kind of saying that you're you know good enough. But God knew that you were gonna be good and that's why he chose you. He's more of an observer rather than an actual crime mover, causation of salvation. Yeah. If he ordains all things, could he have ordained it? if he looked ahead or knew and said you would do it and then said you must be elected because I've seen that you've done it. It makes God subject to the future? Yeah, it can't. Ordaining can't exist at the same time along this path of this viewpoint. They're contradictions. Yeah. And Gabe, I think you kind of hit one of the cataclysmic problems with this, is that if God looks, gains information, and as such makes a determination, what in essence we're seeing is that God learned something. Which then if we understand rightly via the Bible, piece of God's character, because he's all-knowing, he's omniscient. So if we hold to this view, then if we look at the character of God, we know we have conflict. And we know we need to adjust our understanding to what God has revealed himself to be. So that kind of then leads into the point of, then what are we talking about when we get to foreknew, foreknowledge? If there's a differentiation. So let's kind of work our way through some passages here and kind of view how um, we would interpret it to actually be. So I'm going to reread Romans 8, 29 for you here. It's for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now this one I know is in your handout. 1 Corinthians 8, 3. Did I get a volunteer? But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And how about Galatians 4, 9? Now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. So the point of it is, is that when we get to knowing somebody, we have to get away from the idea of it's just facts that we know. Right? We think of like, for instance, husband and wife. They know each other, but it's not the fact that I just know facts about my wife. I know her in a relational way, in an intimate way. I know things about her, right? It's not just simple facts. It's, there's the idea, for instance, in this, though, is that God is thinking of us in eternity past in relation to himself in a saving way. So we've got to kind of make that differentiation with this. Otherwise, foreknowledge is based upon something of which we did. Okay, I think that was you. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I was going to say, we've had some serious wisdom thrown out. That's good, right? I was trying to give somebody credit. You guys all get it. Group points. Okay. So, based upon our decision, if we kind of work this through, Ephesians 1 5 clearly teaches according to the kind intention of His will. So, it does always rest within God and not within ourselves. That's why we read again in Ephesians 2 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, i.e. 
what we would probably call our faith in this view so that no one may boast. Okay, does that make sense? All right, so let's, let's continue to go a little bit deeper, right? Let's get to some objections. So election means that we do not have a choice in whether or not we accept Christ. I want to get some input. What do you guys think of that? Have you guys ever said that? I have at certain points. You do have a choice. You have a choice every day between choosing good or evil. God's world or the world that exists as we know it today, which is basically an evil world. People would rather be bad than be good. <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense. No, it does. They think bad is more fun than being good. Until they try the good. <laughs> so, so if you, they will try it. You're arguing a little bit from like the experiential sense, like I know I choose. Like I, I yes, for me every single I do. day either I'm good I, I do I can know. choose this or I can choose this and I I, I do that. know. Yeah. Because I have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been on both sides of the fence. And I do know. I don't know if the statement is completely wrong. Mm -hmm. So Yes, we always choose evil, right? Like we are, we are inherently sinful. We will never choose to be good. Um, so, so in, in some sense, yes, we have the choice, and we will always choose sin. Um, but I think part of predestination, and please, I mean, you are so welcome to correct me. Um, like, like this is me going out on a limb here. Uh, but if we, if, if God has really chosen us. If he really has made the decision that we are saved, then there, like, is there on some lower level choice? Like, do we live out, like, do mm -hmm. we live out that salvation? Of course, we make choices that reflect our salvation. But if God has really chosen us for salvation, I don't think we generally have a say in that. Like, I got, I got dragged, you know, screaming and crying back to God. I probably wouldn't have gone back to him out of my own volition, but he he saved me. Um, and so, on one level, yes, like we do have a choice, right? Uh, especially, and, and usually that choice, always that choice is evil. But I think my my point of doubt here is: Are we saying that once God saves us, we can then have a chance to say no? Because is then God's salvation? really omnipotent like this he, does he have the power to does that mm -hmm. make sense i'm so, no you're okay i mean this is this is the deal with election right was we dive into it in my mind these questions like all over the place and then you start like logicking everything don't you but what we have to do is we have to work with the scriptures and let that be the determination of our logic so that we can say okay a b c wait no scripture says this okay kick out c nope how do I work with this, right? Uh, almost like algebra in a weird way with our thinking. But we stay according to the divine formula given to us. So, what I think maybe, maybe you're bridging into a little bit. 
One way that I've also heard it said is we kind of bridge into the will. What is the will of man? One thing we have to keep in mind, and I'm going to say here because we're going to we're going to do some <laughs> is we have God's will as a whole, His sovereign will over anything and everything. We have to give that to God because He is sovereign via His Word. So we know we can't break that bound. Where does man's will fit in with God's will? Does it orbit somewhere around outside of it? We would have to reject that because God's sovereign. So if man's, if something is outside of his will, then he's not sovereign. So we kind of can, we can deduce that. What we have to kind of get at here is that man's will, probably far too big for man's will. <laughs> we have to say that man's will resides within God's will. He is able to make choices within God's will. You feel the tension still a little bit? I think one of the best things that I've kind of heard with election is you have to allow for some tension within it. Because in our minds, sometimes we can take two things and we can put them as polar opposites, when really they still coexist with one another, but our humanity isn't a big fan of it. And that's what we kind of kind of keep in mind here. So, is this where God's active role and passive role comes into play? That's a good question. I'm not sure I'd have to think on that. Judy? God loves us even when we turn our back on him. And he's very, very patient with us because he is sovereign and he knows our heart um, I know personally that if you're his he will chase you to the ends of the earth until you truly give up your how do I want to say this your wanting to be closer to bad than closer to God and be as good as any human can be because none of us are going to be perfect we we just can't be perfect even though we're made in the image of God, there's just no way because Adam, Adam and Eve sinned, so we're in their sins. But he is patient to wait for us to see his goodness and his patience and his love. And the fact that he sacrificed his son on the cross and his son willingly died on the cross for us, whether we loved him or not. And we come to that point where we do. 
I have to remain reserved because there's some of these things that we're going to talk about later. <laughs> so you guys are giving great answers, like we're going to bottom out early. <laughs> I think it's also, you know, important to separate faith and in God and Jesus from belief, because even the demons believe in you. You know, so I think it's important to separate those two. When you're talking about your will, you're choosing that relationship with God. You can know that there's God, know that Jesus died for you, but to believe in, put your faith in that is different than believing it, knowing it. Yeah, and I think something that you keyed in on here is the choosing. We will talk about faith later. So, to come. Will? Yeah. For me. yeah. Back on page three, I think, has the best definition because we can get into the deep end and just start swimming like, whoa, what's going on in philosophy? But where at the very bosses, God uses the real choices of individuals to accomplish his will. And that's like almost we can't understand that. And that's part of this. It's, it's beyond us. Like I'm trying to explain the Trinity. But we, um, our old pastor said, it's like two sides of the same coin, predestination, free will. Um, it, it's that coin that God holds. And we are to submit to his will through the word of God. He's not an evil God. He wants all to be saved. Yet, you know, it's beyond us that he uses our choices to get his will done. And that, we have to always come back to that, even if it might be a simplistic explanation, I think, before we turn into a philosophical, the lost philosophy. Yeah. yeah. It may seem simplistic, but it's insanely deep. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yep, that covers it. <laughs> Well, I, th- I think we have to live with attention because all throughout scripture there's a call to repent and believe and so there's along with the truth that God is kind and he has chosen us and we can't choose him is also woven throughout from, from Mark chapter 1 Jesus is saying repent and believe the kingdom of God is drawn near repent and believe and all throughout um, the, the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus and acts and and there's there's a, an appeal to us as humans where where we must choose, and so I think there is that along with the brazen statement of scripture that God has ch- chosen, mm-hmm. is also the brazen statement of scripture that we must choose, and so those that is kind of that that simple that that okay, they're both there, and then yes we can go deeper in terms of saying like how do they play together? Yeah. But I think that we say both things because. Scripture says both things. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's reassuring just to share the fact that um, nobody in here is like, yeah, got it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot in the scriptures that we approach and we're not sure how it works, but we can be sure in the sense of what does the scripture affirm? What does it say about how God has saved us, what we're called to do. So there's a real responsible choice that we have. God is sovereign over all those choices. And so how that exactly works, it's okay, you know, he doesn't, there's not a, there's not a command to have a complete understanding, right? But there, he does call us to, to know him, to place our faith in him, to place our faith in what he affirms. And I think sometimes that's one of the greatest things that can come from discussing it is knowing knowing what what not to reject you know like sometimes we, we want to go all one way or the other and say there's no or that God's not sovereign 
stay out of the ditches on both sides. Yeah. Sometimes going back to Nebuchadnezzar, God can take us to our knees before we actually turn to him and believe in God. Because he took Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, as far as he could go. He was an animal eating grass because he did not believe in God. And when he was brought to that point, he realized the power that God has over all living things. I mean, you can have a mansion and all the money and all this, and then all of a sudden you don't have. It can all just disappear in the blink of an eye. Like one of the ladies, she keeps talking about a family member of hers that lives in a big fancy house and has a good job and all this. I said, yeah, but it can just disappear in just a flash. The house can burn down, he can lose his job. Everything just can go poof. As I say, just go poof. You've got it and then you don't have it. Um, and then you've got to change your way of thinking drastically. <laughs> That's why we're taught to set our sights on things above, not on things of the earth. That's what's intended. Kind of like my mother used to say, don't look down on somebody because they're made for the grace of God go on. So, do you have a choice? <laughs> I think so. Let me give you something that kind of helped me a little bit with this. And I think we kind of find it, like we said, um, with our definition kind of here is, all of us have a real ability to make choices. But the problem of it is, is that it's anchored to our desires. Right? So if we talk about will, we talk about free will, well, we would probably, you have to have that conversation about free will. What do you mean by free will? What do you mean by the will, if you're talking with somebody? But we could probably say that in encompassing a general definition might be man can make a choice uninfluenced by outside forces. That's usually we argue from a point of neutrality. Now, my help here that kind of helped me is that when we talk about the will, we're talking about us or the mind choosing something. So we have our will, and it is choosing but, see this. Now, kind of like working with our definition here, our choices are rooted in what we desire. What we desire most in said given moment. Okay? So, influenced by our desires. But, our desires are also influenced by our nature. This is where we kind of rope around to what it's being anchored in. So we make choices 
influenced by what we so desire in said given moment. But what we desire is informed by our nature. Now let's look at what the Bible has to say. If you guys want to flip here or write these down, I'll go ahead and read them. They're not in your handout. When we think about our nature, what are we kind of getting at? What is the disposition of the human nature? Some of you might be able to answer right out the chute. But Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in your trespass in excuse me, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Let's dovetail that with Romans 6. The whole section kind of between 15 and 23, but in particular what we're getting at here is with 23, where it speaks of us being slaves to sin. But thanks be to God that you who once who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So given those passages, what do we know about human nature? Is it good? Broken? Sinful? What do you think? I heard a whisper. Somebody say sinful. <laughs> sinful. There you go. Okay. This is we're getting back to that simple definition that we were kind of just talking about, right? So our natures are anchored in sin, broken. We need something to happen to us, right? So in his natural state, would you say that man is truly free to make any choice he so wishes in the regards of being uninfluenced? I think we could then say no. This is where God comes in, right? He divinely intervenes in our hearts. Another really simplistic analogy, and I'll leave this one to it. So, Scott, I'm going to pick on you. Hopefully I don't misquote uh, you. If I do, blame me. If it's good, give Scott the credit. Okay? So, there we go, here we go. No pressure. Simply put, all of mankind is headed this direction, headed towards their sin. That is the natural disposition of man. We're all faced this way. And by God's divine grace, his love, his mercy, he reaches out, grabs us by the collar, and turns us towards himself. Does that make sense? Does that kind of help? We have to understand when we talk about these things, we have to make sure that we put ourselves in the right categories and the right understandings of scripture. Alright, and that wasn't exhaustive. Let's let's give another one a go, right? So election means that unbelievers never had a chance. This one's a little bit the same. Election means that unbelievers never had a chance to believe. What do you think? I think that um, well, if I remember correctly, you know, I'm gonna give credit here. I think this is my father who told me this. Maybe he had another source. <laughs> so uh, he gets I'm the credit and you get the blame? If, the, if it's bad, blame me. If there it's great, <laughs> give him the credit. Well done. Um, but I, I think I remember him mentioning to me this, uh, the example of um, now let's assume that our criminal justice system is perfect. Oh, right. Clearly it's not. But let's assume for a moment it's perfect and that there's 10 men on death row. And it's been proven 
perfectly proven that each and every one of those ten men have committed acts so heinous that, boy, do they deserve death. Like, like, heck yeah. Without a benefit of a doubt. <laughs> without, without benefit, okay. like, they absolutely deserve it. Super it's bad, very guys. obvious and clear. And the president, who has the power to pardon them, decides to pardon three of them. Mm -hmm. um, so does that mean that, well, one, does that mean that those men never had a chance to do good? No, they definitely like had the chance to do good, but they but they chose evil, and they always chose evil. Um, and so, one those ten men represent every single person on earth. For the record, none of us none of us are just the normal citizens outside of them. We're all the death row inmates. Um, but then two, um, election in the concept of of you know the president, God pardoning these these men who absolutely deserved what they were what they were going to get. Um, he wasn't unjust to those he didn't pardon. He was deeply merciful to those he did pardon. Not all ten deserved, none of them deserved to have any mercy. And so the other seven shouldn't logically, they, they would complain as we complain, but the other seven shouldn't be able to complain and say, oh, why did you save them and not us? We deserve to have a second chance. No, you don't. You deserve to die, as we all do. And so um, it's, it's, we absolutely have the choice of action, but because it's tied to our will, you know, we will always, always choose to do the death row inmate yeah. actions. So where will all this hit? Yeah. And I think what you bridge into, Malachi, is a great, great point. Our other objection that you see is this election unfair. It's not fair, some of us would probably deem. Right? So, real quick here. We'll bridge into unfair. We're gonna try and we'll do we'll do two at one time. Why not? <laughs> Back to this like the chance idea. One thing that we see in, in Romans one twenty, we talk about for the since for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So all humans freely choose or reject because of our broken natures, God. And because of that, we stand condemned. And there's always that argument of the innocent native, right? Like, what happens about the guy who's on the desert planet, 3,000 miles off the coast, doesn't have a Bible, he just has Wilson and a pine, <laughs> pine tree? And pine trees don't grow on islands. That shows you how little I travel. Uh, palm tree. There's a palm tree and Wilson. Awesome. What about him? Well, with this passage, we could kind of point towards that God has already self-revealed himself. Not only in his creation, we could probably also say within man himself that inside every man, they know that God does exist. I always think of it almost like God leaves his thumbprint on every single one of us. So given that information, there is still always enough information to provide that guilty verdict. I like the way R.C. kind of talks about it. When he gets this question about the innocent native, people say, well... Where's the innocent native go when they die? And he says, well, they go to heaven. And people always get kind of confused and they scratch their head. And then that's where usually he would maybe give a smile and he says, the problem of it is, there's no innocent native. Does that make sense? Splitting, splitting the words here. Jason, yes. I think one part of that is people assume oftentimes, and we oftentimes assume that people are, they go to hell or they're judged only for rejecting Jesus. And that is a 
serious sin to reject Jesus. But people go to hell, they're, they're judged for rejecting the knowledge of God that they have. Not just, even if they never hear about Jesus, they're judged for rejecting the knowledge that they do have. And that's why everyone stands condemned, whether or not they've heard the gospel. This is a really important differentiation. I think, too, um, when we're talking about it, given the chance, you know, what what the believer would, would choose. Um, in Romans 6, 16, it says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So we have the choice on who we're obeying. And if we're seeking our desires that are not to please God, then we have a chance to choose. Mm -hmm. I think it's important, too, to clarify, because we hear that always, you know, well, they didn't hear the gospel on a desert island and how could God condemn them? Um, Sure, we have the general evolution of creation. Um, That's why it's so important to have missionaries to go and spread the good news. So those who are dying in their sins and going to hell on those desert islands, you know, they'll hear the truth and have the opportunity uh, to repent if God so wills. So there's that you know, the importance of a missionary going. Like, just because they don't hear the gospel doesn't mean they're going to go to heaven. You know, they are going to hell. We love us some missionaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think when you mentioned Romans, uh, Romans 6, uh, I don't know if it's the, the flesh or if it's the American or whatever it is, but we want... When people talk about free will, we want to believe that we're like this completely autonomous, sovereign person who really can choose anything I desire. I mean, that's kind of what we're saturated in. You know, Romans 6, you know, the more you read this, you realize that you're going to be a slave to one or the other. And if you're if you're a slave to sin, then you're free, in a sense, from God's will controlling your life. But if you want freedom from sin, you become a slave to righteousness. And you're going to be governed. It's not our mind and our will that is the ultimate ever for anyone at any time. And so that that's hard to receive, right? It's, it's definitely very, very foreign thought to say, I'm either a slave to sin, but I, I can't escape this, my sinful desires. I want to slave to righteousness where God is sovereignly in my choices and my decisions. Because we don't, it's not a visible thing that we, we see in that. We don't see the ruler you know, standing before us. Or that John Wayne attitude, right? Mm-hmm. You just want to punch everything. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you to tell me? Yeah. yeah. It is saturated in our culture. For sure. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, with just like what Scott was saying, how good is it to be a slave unto the Lord, unto righteousness. I think we just, we, our Americanness, like what Scott's getting at, it just bucks it. We hate that idea. But that is like the best place we could be. And, I mean, think of Adam and Eve. That choice was a power grab, right, to gain control. 
So it is unfortunately kind of a piece of our messed up nature that we are always trying to get the upper hand. Do you think it's random? I, mm. <laughs> I will give you my short answer. <laughs> I would say no. And the reason I would say no is, this is another probably rabbit trail, but we kind of lean into that chance. Like, oh, it just happened by chance. I think if we study the scriptures enough, we know that chance can't exist because God knows everything. He preordains everything. Nothing is outside of that. So, I would lean towards that. And I mean, Ephesians, I mean, we're looking at this right over here. Ephesians says it on our papers, Ephesians 1 5, clearly teaches according to the kind intention of his will. Um, and so, Right there, I mean, the moment intention comes into it, it's not random. Um, and also, if God is omniscient, then nothing can be random because everything is going to operate as as He designs. And so, if He saves you, it's, it's not just because He woke up feeling like, you know what, today Malachi, I think I'm gonna give him a shot. Like, it's it's not like that. Um, so He clearly has purpose for each and every person he saves. So it can't be random because randomness would imply that God's omniscience is somehow lacking. See, look what, look what happens. We just built the logical argument via the scriptures. It's awesome. Yeah. So is there a cause? <laughs> Andy, the kind intention of his will. Red bottle. What do you mean by that? Well, he, he, out of his love, his compassion for sinners, um, chose to save some. That's what caused him. That's what led him to make that decision. It wasn't this just like roll of the dice and let's see who's saved and who's not based on my kind of like my, my fancies, but... God is a loving God. He is a compassionate God, and He has chosen to save some out of that compassion. Yeah, in the in Romans, you know, Paul is talking about God's, God's choice. He's talking specifically about the the Israelites, and the Gentiles, and he, and he gives that example in nine eleven. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So he's making this sovereign choice, but he's kind of clarifying it's not because they've done anything good or bad. This is my choice, and it has to do with his purpose. And he goes on to talk about this question of what does it depend upon? And he says, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. It depends not on human will or exertion. But on God who has mercy. He talks about Pharaoh. He raised him up for this purpose. He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he has pardon to whomever he wills. So there's just this recurring reminder that God has a very specific plan and purpose. It's may there's may seem randomness in the sense that it's impossible for us to know why he makes many of those choices. But he has a purpose behind it. And he has a plan behind every every single individual. Why there? Why he has mercy, or why he works, or why he works this particular work in each individual? 
because he said so. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. it's almost elementary in saying that, but it is the reason. I mean, that's. I mean, there's a sense in which if you keep going in there, he says, you know, who are you, a man, to answer back to God? Well, what does Mulder say to Mulder? Why have you made me like this? So there is a point at which we have to say we don't have the right, in a sense, to challenge the justice or challenge the plan or the goodness of God and his choices. It's always good to, to ask him to reveal those things to you if, if, you know, if it's something that is in the word that, you know, that, that you're look, looking for and searching. But there are many of those choices that aren't for us. You know. Of those choices. Oh, sorry. No, we'll do both. Okay. Do you want to go first? Maybe you'll answer what he said. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Of those choices, like, you know, he gives you the operating capacity. We're talking about free will. He gives you the operating capacity to seek him and love him and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How many mornings do you wake up and truthfully seek that? That's, that's in his sovereign will. And it can't exist outside of it. And that's that that's how those two things kind of you have to reconcile that they do operate together there's not a there's not a um, a way that one exists without the other so I, I I would just say that there's the capacity for you to seek him which he smiles and and he is and he loves he is by his nature loving and I would say that that because you don't understand the profound mystery behind it doesn't mean that you have not the ability to to be at peace and content with seeking him first before others and things that are contrary Yeah, I think I kind of see. I think we always just want to make sure that we keep in mind that apart from him in intervening in us, our natural bent will never be to choose him. I think that's where we would stand on that argument. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And there's a kind of foundational principle in studying the Bible or hermeneutics that you stay on the line, which means you don't say more than the Bible says, you don't say less than the Bible says. You stay on the line of what the Bible says. And so in these hard issues of election and uh, choice and all those things, a key in this is that we say what the Bible says. You are saying earlier, and Will as well earlier. We say what the Bible says. We don't say more than what it says. We don't say less than what it says. And when that leads us to a place of I don't know or mystery, that's okay. Because in those moments of mystery or we don't know the why behind the why behind the why, we trust, and we have enough information about who God is, especially as we reveal the person of Jesus, then when we don't know, we can trust him because he's powerful and he's good. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. 
Very, 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 very good. Well. I think this is a good spot. Let's take a mental breather, right? <laughs> Thank you guys for sticking with me on this. I know we kind of took, and it's not even 10, technically, right? So, way to hang in there. There's another, um, one last objection that I'll just kind of leave to you guys. If you want to look in your study guide, give it a read. Um, it is a good differentiation. Um, when you, I'll just leave it with you for like a preview. Just go ahead and go read it. The cool thing is, is that the quote that's in there, I think encompasses the objection and gives you just awesome food for thought if you kind of pick it apart little by little. It does give a fair answer, I think. So, all right. Well, let's break and then uh, we will get into calling next time. So let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we do thank you very much for this time in your word. Lord God, I think as we discuss this, I'm reminded of my humanity and there's only to certain limits that I can go. Um, but Lord, we do know, I think as Joshua just stated, that you are a good God. You have revealed enough of yourself that we can fully trust you. Lord, thank you that we can also humbly ask you questions and that you guide us and direct us through your word to these answers. And Lord, we know in 45 minutes, we're not going to cover this, and that's okay. And so, Father God, as we continue to move in our understanding, please enlighten us via your word so that we can continue to grow in our wisdom and understanding of you. And therefore, Lord, may we glorify you, love you deeper, trust you more. Um, may you get all the credit. Lord, please um, be with us as we now go and worship in the service. Please be with all of those who are leading us, guiding us, uh, especially with Brock um, bringing the word. And Lord, just please lift him up and enable him to do so to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.